So anyway, it's interesting when you plan out a series and you're kind of looking several months off and trying to decide and discern where it is God is, is leading you or how the Holy Spirit is coming alive in the Word. And um, when I chose this sermon title, I've already had somebody tell me they liked it a lot, but it's wrong. It's wrong. When I chose this sermon title, it was all positive and happy-go-lucky and belly scratches and hugs. And, and, you know, now I've had a puppy for five more months. And in case you didn't know or don't remember, like I forgot, it's not all belly scratches and hugs. It's chewed up shoes and torn up furniture and jetted pillows and, you know, all of this stuff that takes to have a puppy. And so while it may be some belly scratches and hugs, it's also a lot of work. It's a lot of work. But as I was looking at the text for the week, it got me to thinking, you know, grace, which is what this text is about, grace is not all belly scratches and hugs either. And being part of the family is not all belly scratches and hugs either. Grace is such a gift. And grace is such a privilege to be experienced. But grace is also a huge responsibility. And there's that holy pinch or that holy ouch sometimes that, that comes from the word of God. And this is just one of those texts that if I could, I'd just read it ten times through out loud for the sermon. But we'll, um, we'll unpack it a little bit. If you will, stand and hear now this word of God. And listen up for the spirit and where you think the spirit is going in it. So we're still in Corinthians chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. But now you in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is the hostility between us, he has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in the place of two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, both of us have access to one spirit and to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself, the cornerstone in him. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated and let us pray. Gracious God, your word indeed is challenging. 
Sometimes we struggle with it. Sometimes, Lord, we are convicted in such a way we cannot turn away. So, Lord, by your Spirit, help us to be faithful to the living word, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Our dog, Frazier, this morning. When Jonathan and I, uh, well, when our son, Owen, who's 20 now, was three, we decided or thought that we might not have any more children. Don't tell Laura. She's not here today, so what she doesn't know won't hurt her. But anyway, we thought we were just going to have um, Owen. And so we did what lots of people do. In the place of a child, they get a dog. We got Frazier. This is Frazier, our Brittany Spaniel, and he was with us for 15 years. And he was just, you know, that great member of the family. Now, Frazier is the product of a homeschool science project. Some friend of ours up in the mountains of North Carolina, she, their daughter bred dogs. She chopped off his tail when the litter was born because that's what you do with Brittany Spaniels. She was all in, and so we decided that it'd be good to get a, a puppy from some folks that we knew, some friends. And, and a lot of folks at the time thought that Frazier was named after that TV psychiatrist. Remember Kelsey Grammer? No. Frazier is named after the great Frazier for a Christmas tree. Remember Avery County? That's where we're talking about. The Frazier for a Christmas tree. We've had to respell his name multiple times for 15 years. But anyway, this is Frazier, and we brought him home with us to Etowah in Henderson County, where we were living at the time. And we realized that Frazier loved to run. Right? Big surprise. Frazier loved to run. And we lived right across from a golf course there in Henderson County. And Frazier particularly loved the wide open spaces of the golf course. Not everybody loved Frazier in those wide open spaces in the golf course. And so, you know, within a matter of weeks, we got an invisible fence to keep Frazier in. We knew that we needed to, to have that barrier, to have that wall of protection, not just for him, but for everybody else out there. But you know what? As much as he loved to run, every once in a while, he'd just take his punishment and go right on through that fence. He didn't let it stop him. Anyway, as I said, he was a beloved member of the family for 15 years. But this morning's text, in it, we're talking about walls. And we're talking about fences. And we're talking about barriers between people. And I imagine that in our very contemporary hearing of the word, we immediately think of politics. The word wall is a hot button now. And you can go left, you can go right, but I'm not going there this morning. And if the Holy Spirit takes you there, that's between you and the Holy Spirit. I want to talk about walls that separate us, yes, sometimes physically, but also the walls that are spiritual and emotional. Walls that sometimes we prefer to doing the hard work of being a family, a family as large as the Christian family. So we have this text from Paul, and basically the Reader's Digest version is simply, you know, Christ has brought down the wall. Period, flat out, in Jesus there is no more wall. He doesn't leave the choice up to us because, frankly, we're too human. Like I said, sometimes we prefer those walls. We're too human. So Christ himself has brought down the wall. Christ has abolished the hostility between people. Christ has brought all of us into a new humanity. His words, Paul's words, not mine. 
Christ has invited us to be part of a dwelling place where there are no walls. And frankly, where the only thing that matters is that cornerstone of Jesus himself upon which the church is built. Now that's the Reader Digest version. And like I said, we could just read this over and over and over again because these words, though ancient, are so profound and so meaningful for us today in our spiritual walk and our willingness to be a new humanity through Christ or our lack thereof. These words go right to the heart of what is going on here in this book to the Ephesians. Now, as we've been saying, we've been in Ephesians for these last few weeks. We're going to stay in Ephesians for another few weeks. Paul is writing to his beloved church in Ephesus, the success story, right? These Christians are, are nailing it. They're getting it right. They're being faithful. They're following. They've been so faithful, in fact, that they're stirring up the community around them because their witness is offensive to others, imagine. Christians just being faithful has begun to change the culture, the commerce, remember, around them. And these early believers, this success story of Paul, they're just beginning to try to figure out what it means to be faithful. What does this look like? How is it that we are distinct from all those people around, peoples around us? How is it that following Jesus actually makes a difference in how we live our day-to-day -day lives? What does it matter? Remember last week's, the so what? So what does this faith mean for us now? And so these early believers just trying to get it right and figuring out what it means to be faithful. And so Paul in the second chapter of Ephesians begins to share a little bit about what that looks like. And you can see Paul is working out his own theology of grace here. Paul is working out what it means to follow Jesus himself. We think that the letter to the churches at Ephesus is one of the original letters, one of the first letters to any church that Paul ever wrote. And so through it, if you pay attention, you can hear and, and see Paul working this out for himself, trying himself to figure out what does it mean to be this new humanity to be a new creation in Christ. How does that look? What does it matter day to day to day? Now, Ephesus, as we've said, is a multicultural city. It's a multi-religious city. Cultures, faiths from all over the known world find their way to Ephesus because it's a port city in what's now known as Turkey. And so you have all these people that have gathered there, all these different people who frankly like their walls people who define themselves against what the other is or does, people who are very comfortable with those walls, people who are very assured by those walls, people who frankly like it very much on their side of the wall and everybody else can stay out while things work for them, thank you very much. This is going on and it doesn't sound too unfamiliar, does it? Pluralism in Ephesus before pluralism was ever even a word. That's what we have here. And it's what Paul is speaking into. Now, Paul, to be fair, was someone who liked walls as well. 
Remember in the book of Acts, Paul's conversion, he's going his own, minding his own business, doing his job, which was persecuting Christians. Just witnessed the first martyrs being stoned to death. That was Stephen. This is Paul. He was very comfortable with those walls. They made sense to him. They gave him power. He was on the inside. Paul's got it going on with the walls in his life. And why bother to change? Paul was militant even about keeping those walls up. Perhaps a little threatened by new believers. So there's Paul on the road to Damascus making his way and all of a sudden we know he was struck down by the Holy Spirit and scales covered his eyes I think for about three days. And after three days Paul gets up and goes to uh, the house of um, a believer and, and the believer lays hands on Paul and the scales fall away and the world for Paul has changed. And I think very much it was a miracle of those scales falling away, not just it restored his eyesight, but that miracle of conversion from that point on, Paul could do nothing that made sense in his old life. Conversion was that moment for Paul when he began to see anew, pardon the metaphor, when he began to see afresh, when he began to look at the world through the lens of faith, through the lens of Christ on the cross who abolished all hostility and did away with all separation to create this new humanity. And so Paul very literally has this conversion experience and gets up and he can't go back. He won't go back. Everything has changed for Paul and he gets to the core of his being that this is a new humanity created by Christ. That this is a new humanity that from the point of our faith coming to fruition, from that point when we profess Christ from ourselves, for ourselves, we can't go back to the way we were. Satisfied perhaps with division clinging as Paul clung to old ways, walls and all. And so he moves forward in, in, in this new manner, and he, he has to explain this in, in, as part of his missionary work. You know, I think God, if it wasn't so serious, God might get a little chuckle out of the fact that the greatest persecutor of the Christian faith early on now becomes the greatest missionary in the Christian faith. Wow, I mean, you get what I'm saying? Everything is different from that point of belief. And Paul moves on into Ephesus to, to tell them about this difference. So we have Paul writing to this new church. And everything is different for him. And nothing is the same. And I love the language that he uses here. Verse 15. He... Christ has abolished the law with all its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in the place of two, thus making peace, thus creating a new humanity that might be reconciled to God, both groups in one body, no longer the us's and the them's that we are so satisfied with, but rather the we of one new family in Christ. 
there's a story, and you know as well as I do, the Middle East is still one of the most divided places today. Divided in, in the name of three different faiths, and the politics emanate from that generally. But long ago, in, in the early 80s, there, the Israeli-Palestinian war was going on, and the Israelis had gone into Lebanon and walled off West Beirut. And the Christians, as they knew the Israeli army was coming, the Palestinian Christians in West Beirut had begun to stockpile food. They knew it was going to be scarce. They knew perhaps their survival would be, uh, depend on what they could gather in those moments when they, before they were walled off. And so they stockpiled food for weeks as this um, developed. And finally, they were indeed walled off from the outside world. And they began to, use, to need that food. And so they had a big meeting. And I love this. It lasted six hours. You think our meetings are long? This meeting lasted six hours as the Christians debated who should get the food first. And you know what it was. Plan A was to give it to the people on the inside. Plan A was for those canned goods to go to the Christians. Plan A was let's take care of ourselves. We're the one who gathered this food. We're the ones who are walled off. Let's keep this for ourselves. Plan B was exactly the opposite. We need to give this food to our Muslim neighbors first. We need to take on the posture of Christ who laid down his life for someone else for us, and we need to be imitators of Christ, and we need to offer this food to someone else, not taking the first helping for ourselves, and on and on and on it went, and finally, the people of God lived into their faith, and the food was distributed to the neighbors first, and everybody else after that. This is what it looks like in one of the most divided places on earth. For people to begin to live into a new humanity. For faith to begin to make a difference. For faith from that moment of conversion to not go back to the way things were. Even if those things were good for us. Even if they made sense to us. Even if those distinctions might work for us. The walls... According to Paul, have been brought down by Jesus himself. We're just asked not to put them back up. God help us. We are just asked not to put the walls back up, but to maintain this dwelling place created by Christ. Where all hostility ceased to exist on the cross. Can you see that image? All the hostility, all the violence. Christ took it to the cross and he left it there. So that when he came out of the grave, he might invite others into resurrection hope. Resurrected living. A new humanity. Who by our very nature, by our very witness, begins to be the face of Christ in this world. By our willingness to live into our conversion, by our willingness to be what God has created us to be, part of this new humanity, part of this new family, part of an edifice that has no walls. Can you imagine? 
And all things are possible through Christ, even this broad, gracious, new family. And back and forth and back and forth Paul goes, trying to explain what this looks like to believers. No longer are people to be known by separation, but people are to be known by unity. And no longer are people to be known by us and them, but rather by we. And no longer are people to be known by who's in and who's out, but everybody is offered the grace of Jesus Christ. And this is who God is calling us to be now. Back in the 60s, early 1960s, Billy Graham, Charlotte's favorite son, right? And maybe you know this story. Billy Graham was doing a revival in Montgomery, Alabama. And he told those who were hosting the revival that he wanted to have an integrated community choir. Wow. Montgomery, the 1960s, Billy Graham insisting on an integrated choir. I mean, that was a step, y'all. That was a step. And they wanted him there so desperately. Can you imagine? They actually agreed. They actually said yes. So, so they had this revival, and there was a beautiful choir that sung praises to God that bore witness to all those out there who still were separating themselves based on outward appearances rather than the new humanity. They bore witness to the goodness of what God can do when we follow his spirit. Next day, the Montgomery paper said that Billy Graham in Montgomery had set the church back a hundred years. And Billy Graham's response, well then, I missed my mark. I meant to set the church back 2,000 years. Sometimes we've got to go back to the beginning to remind ourselves just how profound that early church was, just how profound it was for Christians to live into our faith, just how profound it was for Christ to take all hostility to the cross and leave it there, creating this new humanity, this building without walls in which we get to dwell. All we got to do is make sure the walls don't go back up because Christ has brought them down. Our missions committee will meet tonight several months ago. Um, actually, it started with the women's gathering in here, maybe back in the fall. And we had a speaker come out from the district, and um, they shared with us that there is a, a movement in the metro district to bring predominantly Anglo churches, white churches together with predominantly African-American churches. And a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, Harrison got invited to participate in the next class to do something, to name what the divisiveness might be, but to name a faithful response to it. And so our mission committee is going to talk about it tonight, and hopefully we'll be able to say, there's my bias, a little pressure, that we no longer would just talk about living without walls. We're going to participate in this community to bring them down. We know it's alive and well in Charlotte. We know 
that people have tried to build up these walls, even Christians, God forgive us. But thank God we have time to do something different and bring those walls down, be part of of erasing those barriers, be part of listening and coming together and moving forward in a new humanity once again as the early church demonstrating to all that our distinctness comes from our willingness to be one, one family following Christ, built upon the cornerstone that he has laid. What a gift we have to get it right. Like I said, I could have just read this one over and over and over again. In in him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple. We're not done yet. We're still growing. We have the opportunity in Christ to grow into a holy temple built together by Jesus himself. Thank you, Lord, for bringing the walls down. Help us, Lord, not to put them back up and to be part of what God is doing now in our community in and through believers, in and through through those for whom conversion has made all the difference. God, help us to be faithful. Amen. Gracious God, we thank you that you shake us up. You disturb us. You prod us. You call us. You equip us. You empower us to be one new humanity in Jesus Christ, to leave all that would divide us behind and let it stay there. Help us, Lord, each and every day to make a decision to be a one, one family, one in Christ, a new humanity for the sake of this world. And Lord, help us to be the church taken back 2,000 years so that we truly know, truly experience what you're willing to do in our midst. Help us to follow. Help us to be faithful. Help us to do what you already have blessed. For it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. All right, well, God has given us a word. May we be so ready to go forth and live into it that we would be found found faithful this day and every day hereafter. Go in peace, go with challenge, and go with grace. Amen.